Hello, and welcome to Speakeasy. My name is Cody Melaklein. I'm a reporter at the Alexandria Times, and I'm joined today by President and CEO of the Alexandria Economic Development Partnership, Stephanie Landrum. Hey, Stephanie, how's it going? Hi, Cody. It's great. Nice to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us today. I know you're very busy with pretty much everything that's going on in Alexandria. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you were able to join me today. We're going to cover a lot of stuff here. We're going to cover Amazon HQ2, obviously, and Virginia Tech coming to the area. We're going to talk about COVID. But I wanted to kind of start at the beginning with you. I know you were uh, born and raised in the area, not exactly within Alexandria city limits, but but within, within the area. Where, where were you born and raised? So I was born at Alexandria Hospital, so okay. I can officially um, claim that I was born <laughs> in the city. Uh, I was uh, raised just south of the city uh, boundaries in the um, Mount Vernon area of Fairfax County. Um, so my parents uh, moved there when uh, they actually bought the house from my grandparents. Oh, wow. Um, and so when my mom um, was growing up, she actually worked at the JCPenney in Old Town. Um, and it's it's been uh, really great for me working in my hometown. There are lots of um, examples of, uh, you know, I run into people whose, whose kids my mom taught or, um, you know, I still see people that I went to high school with now who are professionals working or running businesses. Um, so it definitely feels very hometown to me. Yeah. Did your, so were your parents at all involved in the, in the business community, either through their profession or just through volunteering? Not really. Uh, my mom um, was a teacher at an elementary, a couple of elementary schools. And okay. so I definitely learned a lot about community that way. It was yeah. the, big, the big joke for me growing up was like, we could not go to a grocery store and not be stuck in there for like an hour because my mom would run into a parent, a student, just somebody in the community. And then my dad actually worked uh, for Safeway. He was, uh, when I was growing up, he was a store manager. And so, um, so he was, you know, definitely part of the business community, but his stores were often outside of our general, you know, to me, to me back in the day, Arlington was a completely different world, uh, than Mount Vernon. So it didn't, it felt like he worked in a different community. Yeah, I'm sure. So how, how did you find yourself kind of drawn into that world? Because obviously Alexandria has a pretty strong business community. I don't, I don't think it's, it's always, it's, it's obviously changed a lot, probably even since the time that you were, you were growing up, but how did you first get involved in the world of business? So when I went to school, when I went to college, um, I went to college as an engineering student, uh, convinced, uh, that that was sort of the best path for me. And, um, my performance and grades pretty quickly showed that that was, uh, that was an incorrect assumption. Um, and so I ended up in the architecture school in the planning, urban planning department. And um, I had wanted prior to, to applying to be an engineer, um, I had wanted to be an architect. And so mm-hmm. I think urban planning is like a really interesting combination of architecture and um, community and uh, social issues, et cetera. So I, um, in studying that, I think that clearly is what led me to this path. Um, when you graduate from from with a planning degree, you have a couple of different options. The most obvious is to become like an urban planner and work for a city or a jurisdiction and you know review building plans and neighborhood plans. And I work really closely with people like that. Um, but maybe the second path, which was a little less uh, clear back when I graduated, was to do something like economic development, where you're working more closely with the business community, but also in helping develop and plan cities. 
Was there like a moment that kind of catalyzed you into thinking, oh, that I might want to kind of go into economic development? Was there was there a specific moment or was just more of a gradual kind of development in your mind? Well, when I was when I was graduating, I remember I was like looking through the job boards um, yeah. and I, and, um, and honestly, I saw a job at sort of a local community group that was more focused on the business community. And that was probably the first time that I really thought, oh, OK, this is this is a clear path. I could go and work in sort of business. And um, some of your listeners are probably old enough to remember the video game SimCity. Um, but you know, when when you played SimCity, there was like the you know there was definitely like the the government building side and the housing side, but there were also the office buildings and the hotels. And um, so I think as I started to think through what was of, of most interest to me, it was clear that that side of urban planning um, was the right fit for me. Yeah. How did you did you, so did you know you kind of wanted to end up back in this area after college? I think you you went to I went to UVA. I went to UVA, so not too, not too far away. Um, and like, you know, like every good graduate, I came back and moved into my parents' basement and, uh, and, and found my first job. And, you know, one of the great things about Alexandria and the D.C. region is that no matter, and now is a really great example, no matter what's going on in the world and the economy, this is always a strong market because there's just always activity. Um, and, you know, we can talk about like presidential political change, the churn that happens there creates all this new activity. And so every mm-hmm. four to eight years, there's there's this new um, activity in the market. And obviously, with the federal government here and all the different agencies, there's just there's just always sort of activity. So I thought about going other places, but um, but but one, the strong economy two, you know, having a friend base here, both um, both from growing up, but also a lot of people who I met at school at UVA end up coming to the D.C. Mm-hmm. area. Um, it was a natural decision to kind of plant my roots. Yeah. And so obviously, as you said, you kind of got involved in economic development with a community group here. From there, how did you kind of how did your career kind of develop to the point where it is today? I mean, you've been involved with AEDP for 15 or so years at this point. Um, you started in 2005. But how did you kind of transition into that kind of work? Because what AEDP does is kind of unique, both in Alexandria and kind of the region. Sure. So I think the first, you know, the first handful of years working, I definitely um, leaned on what I learned in urban planning and mm-hmm. was really, really interested and intrigued by neighborhood plans and um, revital. I was working in a part of Fairfax County at that time that was considered a revitalization district. And so I was really interested in sort of the policy. And uh, then when I came to Alexandria, I, I came in as the, as the deputy and sort of had a clean slate. The organization had been around for about 10 years and the uh, woman who'd been running it for, for the first 10 years was getting ready to retire. And it sort of opened this opportunity for me to say, what else could we or should we be doing? And I found myself very drawn to the business side of things, Um, understanding how businesses make real estate decisions, thinking through the kind of financial side of of, um, their debits and credits and how, Mm -hmm. how they then decide to grow or not grow. And that led me to make the decision to go back and get my MBA. I felt like I understood the kind of the real estate um, plan side, but I didn't quite have all the tools that I needed to maybe talk the the business talk. And so going then and augmenting my urban planning degree with an MBA 
where I can read a financial statement and, and kind of understand the push and pull of, of what owning and running a business looks like, I thought gave me a more complete set of skills to then, you know, work on some of the things that AEBP is now working on. Yeah, it, it's it sounds like it definitely, like those two skill sets are are perfect for kind of what you're doing now, where it is it is understanding businesses, but it is also understanding, I guess, the impact that those businesses have in the broader kind of infrastructure of the city. How have you seen, how have you kind of seen that, like taking the bird's eye view, how have you kind of seen that, that infrastructure and that kind of business community in Alexandria, which it has been strong for so long. How have you seen that kind of develop over the time you've been in ADP and even in the time you've kind of been um, in and around the city? One of the things that uh, we always say that it's sort of a blessing and a curse for Alexandria is that our reputation is so strong um, for having independent small businesses. And, um, you know, and Old Town it sort of is, is what most people think of when you say Alexandria. Both of those are complete blessings. Any community would, you know, would give um, a lot, you know, to have that sort of reputation and be the lead. But the curse to that is that people assume that there aren't large businesses, um, that we don't have room for or welcome, you know, national corporations. Um, and that our real estate is all cobblestone streets, you know, that we don't have modern class A office buildings. And so I would say that for the first, the first 10 years I was at AEDP, that was a lot of, um, of what we grappled with was how do you, how do you stay true to our, what our strongest maybe attributes, but also tell a more complete story. And so one of the strategies has been to find those businesses that, that don't fit that profile, that fit a different profile and have them tell their Alexandria story. And um, some of that is our businesses like uh, homegrown businesses like The Motley Fool, as an example, mm-hmm. which is a pretty well-known national company whose footprint is, is and home is in Alexandria, but also recruiting uh, organizations like the National Science Foundation, um, working with the Institute for Defense Analysis, you know, these, these really large federal either agencies or, or supported entities who also have an Alexandria story and have chosen to grow here because of the workforce and the, and the um, infrastructure and the great buildings and the community. Um, and so having them tell a story next to a small independent boutique or you know, a cool neighborhood restaurant tells then, I think, the full, the full Alexandria story. Is, is that a challenge at all to, to kind of communicate to, to residents? Because obviously they're the ones who live here and kind of, they're the ones who kind of probably take the most pride in like, we are a town of independent businesses, but you're right. There, there are a lot of, there are a lot of national and inter- international chains that have their home here. How do you kind of communicate that to them, and um, in a way that that sort of gets them to understand that that broader story you're talking about? Well, so I definitely, um, and a lot of the ADP team, uh, the majority of us live in the city. Uh, so when we talk to our neighbors and friends, we're talking as you know our jobs, but we're also talking as as peers, as neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so explaining the value of all commerce, whether it's independent or, or uh, national, and what it does for our tax base and what sort of employment it, it creates. But uh, we also, I think, found early on maybe one of our best allies were some of the independent businesses. Interesting. The independent businesses were able to explain to their customers that, um, and I'll use a retail example, but um, an independent um 
boutique that's, that sells clothing or accessories for women has a limited budget that they can use to market. Um, when a national chain that sells um, skin products, for instance, to that same audience comes in and has the marketing power of the national brand of the money that they spend, they're actually bringing more customers in that ultimately help support the independent business. And so I think it was a little shocking for some of our community, and this has been going on now for years, but mm-hmm. when, when they started to hear that like our independent stores actually wanted some national um, brands to come into the market, I think some of the neighbors were like, well, wait, if if they want it and it's going to make them more sustainable, then maybe we should be more open-minded. Yeah, it's interesting because you usually the story is usually pitched as kind of a an oppositional relationship between local independent stores and kind of national big box stores. At, at one other, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about Amazon, but I just think yeah. it's such a yeah. good uh, good example for, for this line of thought. Um, two, two things. One, um, in many ways, love him or hate him, Jeff Bezos is the ultimate entrepreneur, right? He started a business in his garage. And that's kind of like what we encourage. We're, we're, in, we're trying to find all these people who, have the, who are scrappy and have this great business idea and encourage them. Um, and I mean, w- wouldn't we look back 20 years from now if somebody that we helped you know, yesterday with a grant turns into that, we'd be so proud. Um, and so, so some of it is just reminding people that you know, where some of these large corporations, what their, what their ethos is and kind of mm-hmm. where they started from. But then the second piece, which I think is, um, is probably um, more people would, would agree with is, um, a corporation has an entity, but the people who work at the corporation, they're our neighbors. I mean, they're normal, great people. And those people like independent stores. They like mm-hmm. to go to a cool restaurant at lunch. And so we shouldn't sort of paint, a, you know, paint this picture. And, and this was something we talked a lot about when we were attracting Amazon to the region. They're going to come and make this investment and hire 25,000 people who look and feel like like our community and give opportunities to people who live here, you know, to, to enter into these cool STEM jobs, but also attract more people. And those people are going to go to the deli that's independently owned downstairs. And they are going to get their shoes repaired at the cool shop that we all make recommendations to. And so that that investment uh, by a corporation, maybe itself doesn't seem like it's an independent, you know, like win. But it's the domino effect of their investment and the people that they employ that can be so great for our community. But I would imagine it's a fine balance understanding where, like, is this business, this big box international kind of corporation, a good fit for the city? At what point do those kind of businesses overwhelm the independent presence? It's, it's hard in Alexandria because there are so many independent businesses. It's hard to overwhelm that. But that must be, a, I assume that's a consideration when you guys are doing this kind of stuff. It is, it's, and I think it's a consideration and it's a responsibility. Um, yeah. So as um, as amazing as the process was for us to kind of win the Amazon and Virginia Tech Innovation Campus deal, um, that that's the shining example of bringing in something, you know, bringing something to the community that generally was really, really well received. And so myself, our team, the organization um, following that have gotten a ton of accolades. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the great side of it. The responsibility side of it is if we had, instead of pitching Potomac Yard, if we had pitched the waterfront and we had won this deal on the waterfront, the response would have been very, very different. Um, yeah. <laughs> we probably would have been chased out of town. 
Um, that's the responsibility that I feel and that I know my team feels is to understand what plans are in place to actually participate in the plan making so that we live and breathe it so that we then turn around and pitch the plans to the right sort of people. Um, and and that's something that I wouldn't say that we're, we're unique in doing that, but I do think that not every economic development office is as entrenched and knowledgeable about what the community's sort of vision is as we are. And, yeah. it, and it's, you know, it's what makes us, um, it's what makes our jobs more fulfilling. And again, it, it, when you then pile on top of that, that we live in the community as well, we're the last people who would ever want to bring in something that wasn't a good fit or that would somehow degrade um, the community that we choose to live and raise our families in. Yeah, we're, we're talking about Amazon now, so you might as well dive just full on into the Amazon. Um, obviously, that, that's kind of been the big the big coup for you guys and kind of the bit, one of the, the most notable pieces of news to come out of, out of the region recently, obviously is, is Amazon kind of establishing their second headquarters here. And I think that, that tends to get a lot of coverage, but also Virginia tech coming to the area as well and kind of bringing their innovation campus to, to Alexandria specifically. Um, how did you, this is going to be a lot of background, but how did you get involved in, in kind of that, that process to bring them here? And obviously it was, it was, largely a regional effort which was notable and i'm sure a part of why they ended up coming here but what did that process involve and how did you get involved in the process in the first place the the, the day that amazon announced their um rfp their request for proposals the the way that they did it was they just put up a page on their website mm-hmm. um and I, you know, I guess you can just you can do this if you're amazon and um and very quickly the you know twitter feeds and uh, rss feeds picked up on it and you know w- literally within probably minutes of it being up i'd heard from a few um influential people in our community asking me how quickly i was going to bring that project home um <laughs> we as we as we read and kind of digested and it was a really great well-written rfp and i think in uh you know um armchair quarterbacking if you go back and you read that rfp um as a community, it's a great playbook for how technology companies and really maybe some of the more innovative companies moving forward are going to grow, like what's going to be important to them. Um, but as we read through in those first few hours and days, we realized that the client, Amazon, was asking us to respond as a community, as a much larger community than just an individual city. Mm-hmm. And we needed to make the decision, of, you know, could we respond as we normally would, which would have been as Alexandria, or do we actually pause and try to tell a more regional story? And so it was in those first days that um, at my level, I reached out to my peers um, at the elected level. Some of the elected officials started to talk and then the city manager, county managers talked. And so all these entities were kind of talking and we said, if we want to be successful, we've got to go in as at least Northern Virginia. If we can't do all of the DC region, we've got to go in as Northern Virginia. And so we spent those first um, couple of weeks figuring out that mechanism because it didn't exist. There was no way for us to, to submit to a client sites in Fairfax County and Alexandria. Mm-hmm. We just had never done it. We'd always been competitors. And so one of, one of the terms that I learned in um, in in business school, I, I don't know if, it's, if this is the most worthy thing I learned, but it certainly comes to bear now, is the concept of coopetition. That there are ways that competitors can figure out how to cooperate for the benefit of both. Um, 
I think in in a bad sense. I think that's probably called collusion. Yeah. Um, but I, but but I think uh, finding uh, finding our areas that of coopetition that made sense for this particular project um, was was sort of a founding um, principle as we put together the proposal. And so it was through those discussions that um, Alexandria and Arlington paired up and Fairfax and Loudon paired up. And I will say that um, and I think that this is probably something that I say to anybody who will listen, relationships mean so much and in this particular instance, our ability to partner with Arlington was based on years of relationship building. Uh, we had found ways to do things together for the three years prior to the Amazon pitch. Uh, and they clearly were not as significant as landing Amazon, but building that relationship with my peers, um, showing that, that we kind of had similar values and that success looked similar to us, provided that foundation that allowed us to just dive in together on this, like wholeheartedly has that process allowed for or, or maybe facilitated more kind of regional cooperation or what, whatever the term you used was but and you can only speak to this from a very specific perspective but i would imagine that kind of obviously those relationships have been established but that's a pretty sizable project to bring those relationships to bear i have to imagine it's not like you guys worked together on that and now you're just off doing your own things right. again right so, so we created a brand out of, in our pitch, it was um, Innovation Lives Here with Nova kind of called out mm -hmm. in the middle of it. It's the first time there was ever a brand for, for Northern Virginia. And we built a whole website and, you know, a, a, a um, sort of a tagline and, and, you know, the way that it's all presented. We, we did that all, the four of us, Fairfax, Loudon, Arlington, and Alexandria did that as we prepared this pitch. So as soon as we were able to announce that we had won, we actually unveiled this regional brand for the first time. And after all of us sort of took a, a deep breath and took a couple months, we got back together and we said, all that work. I mean, yes, we won the biggest you know project maybe that any of us will ever work on, but it has a lot more work that it can do for us. And so we spent the, a few months uh, last year in 2019 and put together a regional organization. And we basically said, we're not 100% sure how much work we can do together because we're still all fiercely competitive. But let's build on this momentum and at least sign an agreement that says we want to market together. We want to build on this brand. And so uh, there had been people before me for years who had been trying to do this, um, who sat in all of the 10 seats of, of the jurisdictions. But the timing was right. The trust was there. And again, those relationships were there that we seized it. So we did, we founded last um, it, last September, so it's almost been a year, the Nova EDA. Mm -hmm. And I've been representing the group for this first year as, um, we're, care we're careful about titles, I'm the coordinator. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we're all equally important, um, but I'm, I'm sort of coordinating our efforts for this first year. And it's been, it's been really rewarding because um, all of us know that we're stronger together. Um, and, and the fact that Northern Virginia won the Amazon deal and Northern Virginia was sort of the name and announce, you know, that was used in the top 20 finalists. That in and of itself was a huge accomplishment because most people outside this region didn't think of Nova as its own thing. You know, it was like the suburbs of DC. Um, so kind of identifying Nova as a, as a place with a brand and, and recognizing how much investment and, and uh, job growth there's been here we, we, we knew that we needed to kind of capitalize on the momentum there. Yeah, and obviously tied to that that 
kind of brand of innovation is the not only Amazon, but Virginia Tech's presence kind of coming here as well. Was that, I guess for, for people who don't know, was that part of kind of what they came in as pursuing or is that something that you guys kind of put together as well? It's, it's a great piece of the story that probably doesn't get, get told enough. When we, uh, during those first weeks when we were deciding that we were going to work as a region, we, um, we partnered with our colleagues in Richmond who run mm-hmm. the State Economic Development Agency. And they were helping, uh, they were in the process of finishing a strategic plan for the whole state. And they helped us run a SWOT analysis for NOVA. Because basically we said, we're going to put in this pitch to Amazon, and so are hundreds of others. And Amazon is smart, and they're going to put everything on the table and compare. So if we don't address what our weaknesses are, like, there's no chance that we're going to win. So we did the SWOT analysis, and one of the things that the SWOT analysis identified as a weakness was that we have the most talented tech workers, the largest concentration of them in the country, but they all have jobs already. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a company that's coming in bringing these jobs, what you want to see is a pipeline of, of talented, available people. And so um, the, the head of VEDP, Stephen Murray, he called a meeting of all the universities in Virginia, kind of a real quiet meeting, and said, here's what we've discovered. Do any of you have a solution? And Tim Sands, who is the president of Virginia Tech, raised his hand and he said, you know, we've actually, we have a concept we've been thinking about. We knew that, that, um, that there was this demand, but, and, but we were just waiting for something that would maybe help fund it. Mm-hmm. And so they, they and think about all the, and I say this as a double UVA grad, think of all the amazing universities in Virginia. Um, and Virginia Tech was like, we got this. Um, and so th- really from that first meeting, they became our partner. Now, there are, there are other universities who are stepping up and have new resources coming to them. George Mason and, and UVA is actually doing stuff and the community colleges. But Virginia Tech had the vision and frankly was like willing to jump in as a partner. And so from that moment on, they became part of the pitch. And while they had a concept for what an innovation campus might look like, it wasn't called that. And it mm-hmm. certainly... Um, it certainly went from sort of idea to you know building design over the course of the pitch, um, and so I, I think that's the other really what was maybe the most challenging but most rewarding part of this pitch was landing that piece of it for the city of Alexandria. Um, a lot of you know I'm I'm certainly biased, but um, I think I think when we look back at the project multiple years from now that campus and what ends up developing around it will likely have more of a long-term impact on our Nova region than the Amazon headquarters itself. This episode of Speakeasy is sponsored by Case Architects and Remodelers. Case Architects and Remodelers developed the proprietary case study process to help you explore the possibilities in your home. And now Case has a design studio right in Old Town on the corner of Washington and King to go with their three other design studios in Maryland, D.C. and in Falls Church. Because during these times, home is more important than ever. Visit casedesign.com to learn more and to schedule your personal consultation. How do you how do you negotiate and kind of work with organizations like Amazon and, and Virginia Tech? Perhaps this applies more to Amazon, but how do you negotiate with these organizations to make sure that you're obviously being accommodating and you're trying to get them to come to the region um, but also understanding that you don't want to give up too much control in the situation. Because obviously we, we've seen situations, obviously most notably in, in New York, where 
like a lot of concessions were made to the point where the people who actually live in the area got upset and that deal kind of fell through. But how do you kind of balance being accommodating, but also saying here, these are the things that, that we need from you guys. These are the things you can't do here. That has to be a tricky balance, especially with a player as big as Amazon in the room. So um, I'm sure uh, I'm sure all of my competitors are going to listen to this podcast. So, um, <laughs> so ho- hopefully they won't take too close notes on this part. Um, but I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, um, knowing your product. And in this instance, the product is, is our community and what kind of growth our community expects and has a vision for. Um, but also then clearly communicating that to the prospect. When we first met with Amazon, uh, there's a little of an inside story, but um, the first time they came to visit and do a tour, Arlington and Alexandria had, you know, a handful of minutes to sit down and talk through um, kind of our vision. And we sat and and think about this, this was like our first date with, uh, with Amazon. And we basically said, if you want to come and build this sort of project, and you've told us how important it is for the community to want to, you know, to embrace it, you're going to need to invest in and support affordable housing, um, transportation and transit, uh, and you're going to have to support our ability to build a tech pipeline from kindergarten, uh, you know, you know, through university. Like mm-hmm. these, these are things that are important to our community. And if you want to come in and be welcomed, uh, your project is going to have to support those things. Now, a lot of other people would not have sort of led with something like that. They would have said, what, you know, what would you like? Yes, we'll yeah. write a check. And, and frankly, a lot of the packages that were offered to Amazon were really heavy on money and benefit to the company. The package, I, I think maybe this is the thing that we're the most proud of, the package that Virginia ended up put, putting forward, two thirds of it were investments in the community that absolutely benefit Amazon, but they benefit every other business and every other resident in, you know, in Northern Virginia. And so structuring that package so that we found, you know, what will ultimately help Amazon, but but really what mm-hmm. builds on the investments that that our community thought was important already. So that was that was our strategy for, you know, negotiating with with this um, you know, with this large project. It's not any different with any of the smaller ones that we do. I mean, another example I'll give you that's much, much smaller, um, Port City Brewing. They, we helped them get an uh, incentive grant from the state a few years ago. And in order to get the incentive grant, you have to give a local match. And so we tried to find, were there things that we could invest in that help Port City, but also help the community? And so we put in a capital bike share station on Wheeler Avenue so that people, you know, so that we're building the, the network out to the West End. We helped, um, we put in a bike uh, prep area, et cetera. So like we, that's just the way that we think. It's like, how do we, how do we help the business, but also help the community and kind of the surrounding businesses at the same time? Um, sometimes it's easier that, you know, yeah. there are some really clear wins, but, um, but that is, that's how my team, I mean, we've said from the very beginning, like, that's how we're going to approach any deal that we get involved with. I think probably the probably a big question that's kind of swirling around these projects right now is is where they stand with everything going on with the with the pandemic currently. Do you have a sense of whether they're still on on their timelines? I know at least for 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 Virginia Tech they were supposed to start their first class of graduates this fall 
and colleges are obviously all over the country are reconsidering what, what education looks like, but where do these projects stand as of now? So the Innovation Campus is, is definitely on schedule. They are uh, beginning classes this fall. They might even be beginning, um, you know, kind of as we're talking here in, in mid to late August. Okay. Um, they'll be operating out of a facility that they already have in Falls Church, and they're doing a mix of uh, virtual and in-person. In um, and so they're, they're still working through that. Uh, the Virginia Tech Innovation Campus, like staff, is actually working on site in Potomac Yard. They have leased some space in the National Industries for the Blind building, um, which is open. And so they have sort of a marketing center and executive offices, and they'll be convening uh, different entities there. And then all summer, they've been having meetings with the community about the design of uh, the buildings and the infrastructure. There's um, there's some really technical, because it's such a large project, um, not yeah. just the campus, but just all of North Potomac Yard, there are you know, things like pump stations and roads and, um, uh, you know, parks and open space that are all being designed simultaneous with the campus. And so the community has been meeting virtually reviewing all of those. So we're on track for a groundbreaking of, uh, for the campus building and the partnership building where there's going to be industry kind of brought in to work with, with Virginia Tech. That groundbreaking will be, um, it, ground will have been broken, I think, by this time next year. Okay. Uh, on the Amazon front, they surpassed a thousand hires um, earlier this summer, and they continue to lease space in Crystal City. And um, a lot of their people are obviously working virtually, but um, but again, they are on track with their targets. So the so the project as a whole has been moving um, moving moving along. Where does a uh, I guess where is ADP at in terms of its response to COVID? I guess. The real question is how has your how has your your work changed during this time? Obviously, as you said, relationships are so important. It's it's a little bit harder to kind of check in with these businesses now. But um, where how has how has your job changed over the course of the past few months? So uh, post Amazon, we had already um, we had already morphed a little bit into kind of relooking at who's here and making sure we understand all the different businesses and who has the potential to grow. We brought on a new um, head of business development this time last summer. And um, anytime somebody's new, it's really good to start with like who's here and learning. Mm -hmm. So he had been working on a retention, a, a pretty significant retention program where we were calling on tens to, you know, tens of businesses each month, right? So probably, probably 20 to 30 businesses a month. Then when COVID hit, um, we, we basically looked at, looked at ourselves and said, well, no one, no one wants to meet with us. Um, all, all of our attraction efforts, which a lot of them were, were based around trade shows or going and meeting with you know, brokers and industry people, obviously all of that was canceled. Um, and we immediately saw that our businesses, you know, were various industries were really struggling. And so we pivoted, frankly, 100% away from attraction and have really been focused on, on retention for these past few months. Um, we started by, you know, bringing in our colleagues who work in small business and the first, you know, we called it like immediate response was understand what the federal government's doing to support businesses and make sure that we understand it so that we can explain it to every business possible. And I think the mayor said this a couple of times as well, like the challenge was let's get as many businesses to apply for PPP loans or EIDL mm -hmm. loans, right? Like let's take full advantage of, of um, what the federal government's offering. 
And so it was then during those conversations and learning over the first few months that we realized there was a there was a uh, a gap in terms of like grant funding, um, where the city could step in and provide some grants to help businesses, and that's how we crafted then the back to business grant uh, program that we implemented over the last two months. Um, so that's where you know I mean. You know, the buses are still running on other things. You know, mm-hmm. honestly, we launched a website and a whole new brand during COVID. Um, oh, wow. Not an ideal time to do that, but it's something we've been working on for eight months. And at some point, you know, the functionality behind those two things we needed. So we launched it. Um, we uh, are, you know, we have a real estate department that's working with developers. A lot of those projects are still moving forward despite COVID because they have a long um, life Uh, you know, I can't think of the right word, but a a long kind of trajectory from concept to delivery. And so uh, our team who works on those is continuing to do that. But everything else has really just been focused on how do we, how do we save and help and um, encourage as many of our existing businesses um, during this, this really awful and unpredictable time. Yeah, and that's obviously something I think you guys recently announced the, the back to business grant program. You you issued about I think over three million dollars worth of, of grants to three hundred something small business or businesses in the in the city, which is which is impressive and obviously something that, as you said, was needed by all these businesses in one way or another. Some of them are using it for the the protective equipment, some of them are kind of getting more creative with it. What has it been like to be able to kind of support these businesses that I'm sure you patronize and your your employees patronize? What's it been like to support these businesses at a time when they really need it the most? Yeah, I think, you know, especially after just, you know, reliving kind of the Amazon and Virginia Tech project, and you can understand how rewarding that was. Yeah. I, I really think that, that um, giving out these grants and working with these businesses has probably been the most rewarding project that our whole team has worked on. Um, the number, you know, the amount of grants, ten to twenty thousand dollars, is clearly nothing in comparison to the big project we were just talking about. But the meaning uh, and and the impact across the number of businesses, the people that they employ, the visibility a lot of these businesses have, as you said, it's it's the places where we go out to eat, it's where we get our haircut, it's you know where we're doing our dry cleaning. Um, it's meaningful. It's also kind of the heart and soul of Alexandria. It's what, you know, the businesses that, that are the face and are, the, uh, and, um, and are what people think about, like when we started, mm-hmm. when we were talking about, you know, kind of this is what we're known for. Being able to help those businesses and understand how they're using this money to survive has just been, I mean, it's been really, really rewarding. And it's every member of our team has worked on it, whether it's been, you know, the team that answers the phone, and honestly listens to the desperation or the yeah. frustration right from the business owner to the team that's, you know, um, processing the direct payments. Um, all of us have felt the impact of the work that we're doing and um, have really appreciated the, the opportunity to implement that grant program. What's on the horizon for, for you and ADP? I'm sure you guys are, are still kind of preparing um, I know you have a second round of, of grant funding that you, that's in the works. What else do you guys have on the horizon? So we've been, one of the things, one of the projects we've been working on over the last couple of months is recognizing that it might be a while before people are able to, you know, get back to coming and visiting mm-hmm. and looking at sites. And so we've been looking at ways to market and show off Alexandria 
um, without the ability of, you know, picking somebody up at the airport and, and, and driving them through. So we've been looking at um, the utilization of our new website and some of the materials and, you know, stories we're able to tell through that site, but also working on uh, potentially like a you know, virtual tours, um, how we host uh, brokers and site selectors and get them familiar using all this new technology that we've all uh, become so accustomed to. Um, but, you know, standing out in this new in this new world, what's you know, one of the things that's been so challenging about COVID is that this is, you know, oftentimes when there's like an emergency or a, a crisis, it's um, geographically isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the economy continues in other places. This is obviously impacting the whole world. And so every community is struggling with, you know, trying to figure out how to invite investment and interest back. And so standing out in a, in a very crowded category is one of the challenges. Um, I think the other the other thing that we're spending time working on that we had started pre-COVID was pulling together businesses by um, industry so that we could start to see some trends. And so one of the groups that we'd pulled together before all of this were people who are in ed tech, so mm. education technology. Yeah. Think about the demand for their services now. And so getting a hold on what clusters we already have of businesses and helping, you know, making sure that as they grow, they stay here. Um, that's one of the big challenges is that um, everyone's going to be fighting for, you know, fighting to attract growing businesses. And so if we have some that are here, uh, making sure that we that we keep them here and keep them happy. Yeah. Speaking, I guess speaking of the future a little bit more indirectly, I know and this is this is I assume something that you've kind of been asked about quite a bit. But you are one of the only women to lead one of the region's like 10 biggest economic development agencies you you reminded me recently that you are one of the only not the only which is 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 progress um but i i guess how important is that is that kind of representation representation to you and kind of allowing people to see that this is possible but also acknowledging that hopefully there's not a there's not a need for for a question like this or kind of like a designation like like the one that i gave you in the first place right uh, you know, it's um, it's something that I don't think about a lot, which I think yeah. I think um, is it's great because I think what that means is the majority of meetings or situations that I'm in, I don't feel um, different. Um, and so I think that speaks to how our my industry, real estate in particular, is changing. Mm-hmm. I think it also um, speaks to the DC market. Um, it while while I'm, you know, until recently, right, was the uh, one of the only women, you know, when all of the pe- my peers would get together, I, d- I definitely would f- would feel it. Um, but I have had the benefit of working in other parts of the state, like on some statewide things. I know that there are areas where diversity is so um, is so much more, or lack of diversity is so much more in your face. Mm-hmm. And so I so I, d- I don't um, want to diminish the work that's been done here. I do think it's my responsibility as um, as someone who is underrepresented in, a, in an industry to make sure that I show other people and uh, that it's possible. And even, you know, as you were reminding me, you know, just thinking back to like when I graduated from college and how did I find my job? I mean, it was kind of random. Um, but so I th- so I have taken some responsibility in um, it with some local colleges and also with my college just to, you know, offer to speak and to, you know, I I talk to people all the time about how I got into this industry and what the opportunities are. 
we have offered internships and um, and I certainly have been willing to, you know, tell stories and, you know, talk on podcasts, et cetera. But a lot of it is just sharing. Um, and, and I do think that um, mentorship and there are lots of opportunities uh, through some really cool nonprofits in, in Alexandria, um, you know, going and talking to students at, at um, the elementary schools in T.C. Williams, just, you know, showing mm-hmm. and being an example is part of what, what makes change. Um, but I think continuing to, um, I guess maybe one other thought I would say is one of the reasons maybe it hasn't stood out as much of an issue for me is that there have been really strong women business leaders around mm-hmm. me from, from the day that I came to AEDP. And so having those, uh, women as, you know, colleagues, peers, mentors, friends, um, has certainly, I think, helped me through the course of the last 15 years. Yeah. And then I guess closing out here and speaking of making change, one thing that we like to do here on the show to kind of connect these episodes is we have a question at the end of every episode that was is kind of posed by the guest from the previous episode. And and you you've been given quite a doozy from um from a uh, counselor city councilor John Chapman who was on the show last month. Um and he posed the question to you obviously not knowing it was you. He posed the question why do you think a movement like Black Lives Matter is needed or is it needed now? And if it's needed, why? If it's not needed, why? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I ex- would expect nothing um, less less meaningful from my friend John Chapman. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to answer that. Um, uh, one, one of the thoughts that I've had recently is how... Um, you know, as we were just talking about the pandemic and its impact, not only just in our community, but country and world, right? Like we've never had to deal with something as challenging and and literally life-threatening. Dealing with that as a fractured community, there's no way that that we'll ever overcome it. And so a movement like Black Lives Matter and the attention it is drawing to injustice over so many decades, not that they're, you know, the perfect time for this would have been decades ago. Um, um, but now as we, uh, you know, as a world are struggling with, with kind of fighting this fight against COVID, having a movement that highlights that uh, there has been inequity and, and is hopefully, you know, it, uh, paving this path for, for um, healing so that we can do all of these things like beat COVID together, um, I think is, I think the timing of it is, is extremely important. Um, I think for a community like Alexandria, diversity is um, frankly like one of our greatest strengths. And um, as somebody who, right, grew up in this community, really appreciated um, the kind of the diversity in my high school and my neighborhood and my friends, like I wouldn't trade that for the world. And so I believe that um, the movement and the attention that it's drawing to the inequities uh, that still exist is more important than ever. Um, and, and as a community that does have the ability to kind of point to diversity as a strength, I think it's, um, it's something that we're all paying really close attention to and trying to find ways, you know, looking within our organizations, our business community, um, for ways that we can help uh, erase any of the uh, inequities that still exist. Yeah. So, so what is the, the question you like to pose to our ne- next guest, not knowing who they are? Sure. Um, I think, you know, I'm, my mindset these days, I'm really trying to focus on us being in recovery. 
Uh, while, mm-hmm. while this pandemic is clearly you know, not going anywhere anytime soon, I do feel like we've, um, we've entered a, a stability stage where um, it's not ideal and uh, none of us would choose the circumstances, but at least it's a little bit stable. And I think that gives us the foundation to start thinking about recovery. Uh, so I think I'd ask the next guest, um, assuming recovery is, uh, is around the corner, what's the one business or place um, that you are most excited to return to um, once it's safe uh, to do so? Yeah, I'm sure we all have a business in mind. If I can sneak one last question in, do you have a business in, in mind that you'd, you can't wait to get back to? Um, I'm, not to I'm put glad, you on the spot. <laughs> I'm glad this is a podcast um, because uh, if not, people would really know. I'm really looking forward to getting back to my hairdresser. Uh, okay. <laughs> it has been um, it, the, the unsung heroes. Uh, one of the unsung heroes certainly are the people who keep us uh, looking great and feeling good about how we look. And it's been really difficult for businesses in that category to operate over these last few months. And so um, I am looking forward to uh, being able to get back to the hairdresser on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> yes, I, I can I can relate to that as well. Um, thanks thanks so much for stopping by, Stephanie. I appreciate it, and uh, I, I appreciate everything you've been able to share with us. Thank you, Cody, for having me, and thanks for listeners for um, for supporting us and listening. Yeah, thank you, Alexandria. Take it easy. Bye.